Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 49, Greeks Being Clever, Part 3. We have completed our historical journey from the foundations of Greece to the Roman takeover. All that remains is for us to see what happened to Greek thinking after the Roman conquest and how it influenced Roman thought, and to take a brief look at how Greece fared during and after Roman times. We will leave the future of Greece for a later chapter. In this one, we will take a look at some of the more colourful characters of later Greek philosophy and science. Before we can move into later Greek and Roman times, we need to backtrack a little and learn a little about one of the most unusual and strange men who ever called himself a philosopher. We need to go almost all the way back to the time of Socrates. Diogenes of Sinope was apparently a student of Aesthenes, who was, it is said, a disciple of Socrates himself. Diogenes's father was the chief banker of Sinope, and they were a very rich family. Banking in those days seemed to have been similar to banking today. That is, it was full of scandal. Diogenes' father was accused of defacing the currency. Nobody is quite sure what this meant, but it resulted in the family losing all of its money and being forced into exile in Athens. In Athens, Diogenes took to a rather extreme lifestyle. He either founded, or was one of the first followers of, the school of philosophy known as cynicism. The term cynic comes from kinikos, which means dog-like. As we will see, this was quite a good word for the cynics. Diogenes claimed that all civilization and civilised values were rubbish and just made people unhappy. Being civilised, said Diogenes, just makes people too concerned about what other people think. And being concerned about what other people think takes a lot of effort and is pointless. All this wasted energy, he said, makes us miserable. When we clean ourselves and try to act so that other people will like and respect us, we scrub out our real nature. We become false, not our real selves. Diogenes and the Cynics said that people should be their real selves and should strive for virtue. Diogenes himself set up to live the life of a Cynic as perfectly as he could. Most people, however poor, would try to find a house to live in. Diogenes decided a house was a bit too civilised for a good Cynic, so instead he found a barrel and lived in it, in the Agora in Athens. He did everything in public as he believed that otherwise it would be too civilised. He ate, slept, weed and pooed in public. He didn't wash. Plato knew Diogenes and didn't really agree with his ideas. He knew, though, that Diogenes had been a follower of Socrates, who was, of course, a great influence on Plato. Plato called the cynic a Socrates gone mad. Diogenes, true to his beliefs, couldn't have cared less about what Plato thought. When asked if he attended any of the great man's lectures, he simply said that no he didn't, they were a pointless waste of time. Diogenes had an answer for Plato's accusation of madness. He said that actually it was the normal people who were mad. Normal conventional views were mad, not him. All he did was live in a barrel and poo in public. He said that all of normal people who thought it was terribly shaming to poo in public were mad. If an act is not shameful in private, said Diogenes, then it is not shameful in public. Then he went back to his barrel. Diogenes had quite a lot to say. He didn't really care whether he offended people, as he thought that not saying what was in his mind was just the same as washing in private. It was simply hiding his real nature, and this was a bad thing. So he said what came into his mind. Once, Diogenes went to watch an archery competition. 
He was watching a particularly bad archer when he got up, walked past the useless boatman and sat down right next to the archery target. Some concerned citizens went up to the scruffy, unwashed philosopher and asked what on earth he was doing. Diogenes replied that when that particular archer was shooting, right by the target was the only place he felt safe. Another time there was a feast going on in Athens and the revellers laughed at Diogenes. They said he looked like a dog and threw their bones at him once they had eaten the meat. Diogenes said that they were treating him like a dog so he would act like one. Then he had a wee on the bones. Most of the people of Athens loved Diogenes. They respected the way he stuck to his views and was true to them. Once a young man smashed up the cynic's barrel. The people gave the barrel vandal a public beating and bought Diogenes a new barrel. Diogenes may have been a bit weird, but he was true to his principles. When asked what he thought was evil, he replied the only evil was ignorance, and the only good was knowledge. He told people that death wasn't evil, because when you died you were no longer aware of anything, and how can anything be evil if you are not aware of it? The people asked him, then, if life was evil. Diogenes said no, life wasn't evil, just living badly and in ignorance was. It is said that Diogenes met Alexander the Great. Their most famous encounter goes something like this. I am Alexander, said the great king to the philosopher. And I am Diogenes the Cynic, he replied. Alexander stared quizzically at the old man, for by then Diogenes was very old. Are you not afraid of me? he asked. Why, what are you? said Diogenes. A good thing or a bad thing? Alexander replied, a good thing to which Diogenes quite reasonably responded, Who is afraid of good things? Diogenes asked Alexander what he planned to do with his life. Alexander answered that he planned to rule over all of Greece. OK, said Diogenes, then what? Alexander said he planned to conquer and rule over all of Asia Minor. OK, said Diogenes, then what? Alexander said he planned to conquer and rule over the whole world. OK, said Diogenes, then what? Alexander told the scruffy philosopher that after conquering the whole world, he planned to sit back, relax and have a good time. Diogenes replied simply, Why don't you save yourself a lot of time and hard work and just sit back and enjoy yourself now? Diogenes the Cynic died a natural death in 323 BC, aged about 90. He gave instructions that his body was to be thrown outside the walls of the city so that it could be eaten by wild animals, just as was natural. Cynicism was surprisingly popular and there were many followers. It wasn't practical for everyone to live in a barrel though. It took a couple of other philosophers to turn cynicism into something a little bit more workable. Zeno of Citium and his pupil Cleanthes took the views of the cynics and added to them. They said that philosophy should be split into three parts. The first was logic. This was concerned with reasoning things out and also with thought and how things were seen. The second was physics, which concerned science and how things were made and what was the influence of the gods. The third, and the one they borrowed from the cynics, was ethics. Ethics was the part of philosophy associated with how people should live. Zeno and Cleanthes agreed with Diogenes that true happiness could only be achieved by attaining knowledge. They founded a school of philosophy known as Stoicism. Stoic ethics is quite simple. The Stoics believe that the universe is governed by absolute law. Nothing can go against this law. They also believed that the very nature of humans was reason. 
This, they said, made living with virtue very easy. Live according to nature, they said. What they meant was that all a person had to do was reason what nature and the absolute law intended and then do it. This meant that they disagreed with Aristotle. Aristotle said a man had to use and control his passions with reason. The Stoics said that a man had to completely reject his passions. Nothing is important, said the Stoics, apart from virtue. Wealth, health, pleasure and life itself are not good things and poverty, sickness and death are not bad things. They simply are what they are. Virtue is the life lived according to reason. Nothing else matters. A wise man should reason that he is simply a cog in the machinery of the universe and as long as he works out, by reasoning, what the cog is supposed to do, then he will live a virtuous life. Cleanthes lived until he was about 100, so clearly Stoic philosophy did him a lot of good. Given that the Stoics didn't necessarily think life was a good thing, then we can't be sure whether Cleanthes was happy that he lived to such an age. Hopefully, he lived virtuously. If he did, then he was probably okay with it. The most important of the ancient Greek Stoics was the man who took over from Cleanthes as their leader. His name was Chrysippus, and he attempted to protect th Stoic thought from criticism. He decided it was a bit much to expect everyone to agree that life and other pleasurable things were no better than death and pain. All things that were not necessarily good or bad, Chrysippus called indifferent. He taught that there were things that were indifferent but preferable. This meant it was okay to prefer health or honour to poverty and illness. Chrysippus still thought that men had to live virtuously and ensure they understood their place and function, just like the cog in the machinery. Panotius of Rhodes was a Stoic philosopher in the 2nd century BC. He travelled to Rome, where he did much to introduce Stoic philosophy to the city and the new empire. He made Stoicism more easily understood. Stoicism was very popular during Roman times. The most famous Stoic philosopher was the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, who lived in the 2nd century AD. Despite spending most of his reign fighting the barbarians on his northern borders, he found time to write a book called The Meditations. This book contained comprehensive notes to himself on how to live virtuously. Some of his quotes have become famous and demonstrate Stoic thinking perfectly. Very little is needed to make a happy life, he wrote. It is all within yourself in your way of thinking. And my favourite, don't waste your time working out what a good person is. Be one. Stoicism Platonism and other schools of Greek philosophy continued to be studied throughout Roman times until the Roman Emperor Justinian closed down all of the philosophy schools because they didn't fit in with Christianity. It wasn't only philosophy that the Greeks continued to have influence upon during Roman times. Science also carried on flourishing. On the island of Rhodes, a man called Hipparchus became the greatest astronomer of the ancient world. He constructed an observatory and began to catalogue the stars. This star chart was completed in 129 BC. In it, Hipparchus listed about 850 stars and graded them according to brightness. He called the relative brightness of stars their magnitude. He gave the 20 brightest stars a magnitude of 1, and the ones that could only just be seen a magnitude of 6. This system, although now measured more accurately, is still in use today. Hipparchus accurately measured the star's positions relative to each other. In order to measure how high in the sky a star was, Hipparchus invented a tool called an astrolabe. 
This kind of tool was used to measure the positions of objects in the night sky for 2,000 years. Hipparchus was so accurate in his placing of the stars that he discovered that the stars move very slightly each year in relation to the sun. If the position of a star is measured one year and then again the next year, it can be seen that it has moved very slightly, but only very slightly. In fact, it takes 26,000 years for the stars to return to their original positions. This phenomenon is called the precession of the equinoxes. The amount of movement from one year to the next is absolutely tiny, and it is astonishing that Hipparchus was able to find it. Hipparchus measured the diameter of the moon and the sun, and the distance from the earth to the sun, as well as carrying out many other astronomical calculations. The final word on Greek science and astronomy will be left to the man who brought together the previous learning about astronomy and produced a work called the Almagest. He was called Claudius Ptolemy and he lived in Alexandria. In the Almagest were what Ptolemy called handy tables. These tables could be used to predict the positions in the sky of the sun, moon and planets and the times that each star rose and set at any time during the year. The Almagest also contains a complete star catalogue which is similar to the catalogue created by Hipparchus. This new catalogue was a vastly improved version and had an important new feature. For the first time, the stars were arranged into patterns, and these patterns given names. The patterns were called constellations. The star catalogue described 48 constellations. Not every star in the sky was included in the constellation. Ptolemy lived in Alexandria, and so could not see the whole night sky. The stars in the far south never rose above the horizon in Egypt, so Ptolemy didn't know they were there. There are now 88 constellations, but most of Ptolemy's original ones are still used. A large majority of the original constellations represented mythical figures from the tales of Greek mythology, with which we began our journey through the myths and history of ancient Greece. Perseus and Andromeda are there, along with Cepheus, Cassiopeia and Pegasus. Heracles is there, of course, as is the great ship the Argo. The clever dolphin sent by Poseidon to Amphitrite is there, close to Orpheus's lyre. The great hunter Orion is a magnificent sight, and he is followed across the sky by his two dogs. The twins Castor and Polydeuces sit just above Orion. Quite a few of the beasts and monsters from Greek mythology are in the night sky, including the Nemean lion and the Lernaean hydra. It is fitting that our history of ancient Greece ends with Ptolemy's great creation, because it spans the ages between the most ancient times and modern ones. The ancient Greek myths are preserved forever in the stars we see every night. Ptolemy, living in the 2nd century AD, documented the patterns in the stars. The Almagest was later translated and preserved by Arab astronomers, and because of this, the text still survives today, as do the constellations. Next week, we will have our question and answer session, and following that, we will take a look at how Greece fared during the 2,000 years between the Roman conquest and the creation of the modern country of Greece. Please remember to send in your questions for the question and answer session, which will hopefully be next week. So, until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.